0: Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. The Battle of Uhud represented a very big challenge for the Muslims. After the Battle of Bed, they had achieved this grand victory. The tribes around the city of Medina started to take Muslims seriously. These guys really have a state, they really have a powerful leader. They know what they're doing. Their Lord supported them against all odds, 313 versus 1000. Yet, they decisively won the battle of Badr. It gave Muslims prestige, it gave them this renewed strength, it raised their spirits. The battle of Uhud did the exact opposite and it was a trial from Allah, Allah tests you, remember Allah shows you that when you're in my path, don't expect victories every day, there will be moments where I will try you, I will test you. Now obviously the reason why they failed at the battle of Uhud is because they disobeyed the Prophet The, the war booties attracted them, they disobeyed the Prophet, and that's really the reason why they suffered high casualties, 70 Muslims were killed at the Battle of Uhud, specifically the uncle of the Prophet Hamza alayhi salam. The Muslims were shaken after the Battle of Uhud, it was a defeat that they really did not expect. Now what happened is after the Battle of Uhud, the neighboring tribes, those tribes that surrounded the city of Medina, were emboldened to attack the Muslims and conspire against them, they're like, look these Muslims aren't that strong as we thought, they suffered a big defeat, yes they were not decimated, obviously they still made it, but they're weaker than we thought, let's conspire, let's get rid of them, this is, these are the tribes around Medina, the other threat was the Jewish tribes in Medina, that emboldened the Jewish tribes to conspire against Muslims. After the battle of Badr, the Jewish tribes in Medina were like, you know, these Muslims are pretty strong, for now let's not mess with them, let's respect the treaty that we have with them, the constitution of Medina that they willingly signed, let's honor it for now, it's not a good time to mess with the Muslims, but after the battle of Uhud, they changed their perception, They said they're weaker than we thought, let's conspire. So now you had conspiracies at two fronts. One, the inhabitants of Medina, the Jewish tribes. The other are the tribes who were living around the city of Medina. This represented a very big challenge for Muslims. I would like to share with you one conspiracy that the Muslims really suffered from. To show you how much those early Muslims sacrificed and to show you how oppressed they were they were there fighting for justice, yet they had to be treated that way and we should appreciate their efforts, so what happened after the Battle of Uhud, the Prophet had a group of Muslims, they were educated by the Prophet, they memorized parts of the Quran, they knew certain Islamic laws, the Prophet would dispatch them to various tribes to teach them about this new religion, to teach them justice, to teach them morality, We can call them missionaries in the positive sense of the word because they were not aggressive, they were not violent in any way, they were very peaceful. Oh, people, this is the final religion of God. Let's tell you about the Holy Quran. So, there were groups of missionaries that the Prophet had prepared. What happened after the Battle of Uhud is that we find various tribes who lived around the city of Medina, they came to the Prophet, they met him in his mosque, they told him, O oh Messenger of God, you have Muslims whom you have educated and were are so thirsty to know about Islam, why don't you send them to our villages, to our tribes and they will educate us. Now this was a plot by these tribes, This was a plot to assassinate these Muslim missionaries. This was their intent. After the battle of Uhud, they decided to conspire. Let's get rid of these Muslims and this is a perfect way to start. Let's go and fake this request and then when they come to our villages, we'll slaughter them. Now the Prophet ﷺ of course has divine guidance, but remember the Prophet ﷺ usually must act upon his apparent knowledge and he needs to allow events to take their natural course. Yes the Prophet ﷺ probably knew that this was a plot, Allah wa ta'ala reveals that to him but he was commanded of by Allah not to reveal that. You could argue why, you could save lives if you act upon your divine knowledge and tell your Muslims don't go this is dangerous, because life is a trial, Allah sometimes wants events to take their natural course so truth from falsehood is exposed. If the Prophet is going to implement his divine knowledge every single day, well people will not see how the trial is working then, you cannot see the hypocrites from the believers then, how is that deciphered? Only when you allow certain events to take their natural course, so the evil ones are exposed, You avoid a greater danger because the Prophet could sit there and say, look, these tribes are lying. Many people would have probably doubted the Prophet. Oh, he's, you know, uh, insecure. He's uh, paranoid. What is this? All these tribes are, are willing to support us Muslims and he says no to them. It would have sent the wrong message. People did not have that intellectual maturity to accept that from the Prophet. So had he done that, he would have been sending the wrong message. He would have lost support. But the Prophet says, okay, sometimes I just have to allow events to take their natural course. The Prophet said, okay, now that you're officially requesting me to send Muslims, I will send them with you. Look at their evil plot. So they took those Muslims to their various tribes. Ibn Hisham says, those who were murdered or killed were about six, some say 10, the size of the missionary itself, the group itself is also disputed, we have various figures, let's say anywhere between 6 and 10 was the size of the group that went with these missionaries, so they went with this group and the Prophet sallallahu appointed Marthad ibn Abi Marthad ibn al-Husayn to be the leader of that group Marthad was one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu he migrated with his father to Medina to support the religion of Islam, he was there at Badr, he was there at Uhud, in fact if you remember, when we talked about his role at Badr, on his way to the battle of Badr, which was pretty far from the city of Medina, took them a few days to get there, he shared the camel with the Prophet and Imam Ali. Salam. They did not have enough camels, so the companions would share. Marthad had the honor of sharing the camel with the Prophet and Imam Ali. So he would ride on the camel for a while, then he would give it to Imam Ali, salam, then he would give it to the Prophet. So Marthad was pretty close to the, to the Prophet, and historians have also noted that Marthad would be sent and dispatched to Mecca to secretly liberate the Muslim prisoners of war, see after Uhud, the Meccans they claimed a number of prisoners of war from the Muslims, they took them to Mecca, they were locked, they were changed in their houses, Marthad would be amongst those people who would go secretly at night to Mecca, he'd gather intelligence that we have a prisoner of war in this house. He would go into that house and then he would secretly free him at night. So he really was a man who would sacrifice and sometimes he would put himself at risk and in danger in order to save those Muslims. So they leave Medina under the leadership of Marthad and they reached an area called Darajia. It's an area between Mecca and Medina there they encountered the tribe of Hudayl, they were surrounded by this tribe and these Muslims sense something is not right, these tribes invited us to come and teach them about Islam but they're armed, they're creating a circle around us, they felt that there's something is not right, so they realized that this is a conspiracy to probably kill them, so when they feel the danger they unsheathe their swords when the tribe sees them unsheathing their swords, they're like, wait a minute, why? Why are you fighting us here? We don't mean any harm. They're like, what do you mean you don't mean any harm? You've you all have your swords and you've surrounded us in a circle. They're like, well we don't plan to kill you, but we'll tell you what our real intentions are. We want to take you to Mecca because we the tribe of hudayl we have prisoners of war from us in the hands of the Meccans. So we're going to use you as a card here, as a ransom card. We'll give you to the Meccans so they'll give us our prisoners. So we don't really want to kill you. What would you do in a position like that? What would your honor and dignity dictate to you? Fight, exactly. First of all, they were probably lying. They wanted to kill them anyway. Even if they take you to the Meccans, the Meccans are going to kill you. Why would you accept that? So Marthad and Khalid ibn al Bukair and Asim ibn Thabit, these three they said no, we will fight, this is absolutely unacceptable and we don't trust you pagans, you're giving us amnesty that you're going to safely take us to Mecca, we don't accept that anyway, you've already betrayed us, you came to our Prophet asking him to send us to you so we can educate you, now you do this to us? We're not going to buy this. So they fought. They really fought. Asim was so courageous. He said lines of poetry describing his commitment to the Prophet. But then they overpowered him, they outnumbered him. They killed Asim and they took his head and they slaughtered him. They beheaded Asim, these evil pagans. And it's really tragic what happened afterwards. They wanted to take his head to the mother of one of those who were killed at Uhud and basically see, okay you know we beheaded one of the Muslims, now you can take the wine and drink while looking at the head of this Muslim. This was a common pagan practice that they would do. So they secured his head at a location, planning to take it to Mecca, in order to tell the Meccans here, we've killed your enemies. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to historians, he sent bees and flies surrounding the head of Asim. Basically they just congregated around his head to the point where it was difficult to pick it up, so they're like, you know what, let's keep it until the flies and the bees leave the scene and then we'll take his head. Immediately after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a flood which took the head of Asim and it was not to be found by those pagans and the reason why Allah did that, Asim had made an oath with God, he's like, oh Allah, I am coming out on this journey for your sake, please don't have a single pagan touch me, I don't want a mushrik to touch me. Now imagine they wanted to pick up his head, take his head, take it to this woman, she drink wine over his head, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a flood that carried his head away and it disappeared. So Allah protected him from this evil plot of having his head being taken to that woman in Mecca. So we find that these three were killed, Marthad was killed, Asim was killed and Khalid also was killed, these three were assassinated there. The other three whom you have for example Zayd is one of them, Zayd ibn Dathina, Khubayb ibn Adi and Abdullah ibn Tariq. These three they decided, you know what, let's not fight, let's just surrender. So they surrendered. On their way to Mecca, Zayd and Khubayb, they became regretful, They're like why? Why should we surrender? Let's fight, let's put a fight, these evil pagans betrayed us and let's fight. So basically we find that they struggled on their way to Mecca and Zayd was taken to Safwan ibn Umayyah, one of them was killed two of them were outnumbered and basically they were taken as prisoners of war, so they took Zayd to the Meccans And they told Safwan ibn Umayyah whose father was killed after the battle of Badr, he was told that we have Zayd here from the Muslims, what do you want to do with him? He's like I'll purchase him, I'll buy him for any money that you want, so I can seek revenge from him, then he decided that he was he's going to take Zayd to a place called Tanaim which is by the city of Mecca, today you will find the pilgrims, they go to Masjid Al-Tanaim in order to do the Ihram of the Umrah, because it's the closest place right outside of Mecca. So they took him to Tanaim and they decided, they decided to hang him over there. See the viciousness of the pagans. Now imagine him, he's standing by the gallows and in a few minutes he's going to be hanged. Abu Sufyan was there. He was organizing this whole parade of having Zayd executed. And then, Abu Sufyan asked Zayd a question, he told him, I ask you in the name of the Lord that you worship, would you prefer that now Muhammad is in your place and he gets hanged and you are set free? Look at this evil question that he's asking him, look what you got yourself into for defending Muhammad, right now if you could have Muhammad in your place and you would be free, would you? Zaid became so angry and he said, I swear by the Lord that I worship. I would rather stay here and be killed and protect the Prophet's feet from a thorn pricking him. If they were to tell me Zaid, right now we'll take you back to your family, you'll be with your wife and children, only a small thorn will go into the feet of Muhammad, by Allah I would refuse. See the faith of these men. It's easy to say I am a follower of the Prophet, I'm willing to sacrifice but when you're put in a moment like that, how would you really feel? You're away from your family, you're being unjustly killed, in a place where you have no supporters, yet he said those bold words, he said I'd rather take the sacrifice and protect the Prophet, not his life, just protect him from a thorn I would. Abu Sufyan was shocked at this reply, Abu Sufyan got angry and he he said, during my entire life I've not seen such devoted and self-sacrificing friends of anyone as those of Muhammad. How devoted the followers of this Prophet are. So he became a Shaheed in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was Zayd. Zayd was massacred. The second one was his friend Khubayb. Khubayb was kept under detention for some time then the council of Mecca, they decided let's hang him, so they took him to the same place at Tanaim, the arrangements were made to set up the gallows, now right before they killed Khubayb, he told them, just give me a couple of minutes to pray, to offer a salah, they said okay, do whatever you want, he stood, he did a two rak'ah salah, a two unit prayer, and he did them rather quickly, He was very brief in finishing this prayer, when he finished his salah he told them look, I love salah and I love prayer and usually I do my prayers slowly but I did them fast so none of you accuses me of buying time with my prayer, oh he chickened out, he's a coward, he's offering this long prayer so he can delay his death, know that I never pray this quickly, I prayed quickly today to prove to you that I am strong but I want to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it has been said that Khubayb is the one who started this tradition of praying right before being massacred he started this tradition and other Muslims before they would be massacred or killed they would request to pray to raka'as salah, he, it seems he's the first one who started this so after he finishes his salah, they take him and they decide to execute him, he says, Oh Allah, I performed my duty that you have entrusted us. I did my best to protect the Prophet sallallahu And then he said, Oh Allah, I don't have any friend here whom I can ask to convey my salam to Rasulullah sallallahu Oh Allah, you be the one who conveys my salam to your Prophet. And then after that, he was hanged to death. This event called the tragedy of Raji'a was an event that really shook the Muslims, the Prophet was deeply troubled, these tribes like Hudayl and others, they came asking us to send them top companions to teach them Quran, to teach them justice and this is what they did to them, they plotted against them, they sent, they killed half of them, they took the other half to Mecca and this is how, how they were killed, the Prophet was extremely, extremely disturbed by this and they left the body of Khubayb at Tam'im for days under the sun, the pagans in Mecca, they did not even want to bury him, so the Prophet arranged for one of the companions to secretly go at night to Mecca and to bury his body, So you really see the difficulties that Muslims go through. By the way, these are not incidents that you find any orientalist talking about. Oh yeah, these Muslims in Medina, they're waging wars, they're aggressive. Do you know what happened to these Muslims? Do you know the the size and the magnitude of the conspiracies against them? What do you do with tribes like that? You go and tell them, yes, yes, come by all means take over my city, there's absolutely no resistance and confrontation. The Prophet was dealing with vicious tribes like that, with vicious, men, men, vicious mentalities like that, they would not even honor their word, honor their request. What do you do with people like that? Yet the Prophet was patient, yes, he, yet he was so humane with them. But you find after the Battle of Uhud, unfortunately a number of tribes were emboldened. In fact, a tragedy greater than al raji is Many Muslims were were massacred in that tragedy, similar to this, where these tribes conspired and they killed a a number of top companions. So many of them, they were shuhada, they were killed and they really sacrificed in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their iman mesmerized everyone. Till that last minute, they were very steadfast and they defended the religion of Islam. So this was one challenge that Muslims had to go through, emboldened tribes, wanting to get rid of Islam.